Hi, welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to podcast number 11 in the series, A New Voice of Freedom. These podcasts all come from a series of four books I've written entitled In Defense of Christianity. The ebook, paperback, and audible can be accessed at ronaldmesser.com or on Amazon. Today's podcast is entitled Absolute Morality. Those who criticize God or the Holy Scriptures because they do not address the issues of natural law are unfamiliar with the ways of God. God inspires prophets to reveal his spiritual laws to man. God inspires scientists to reveal his temporal laws to man. Both work through the same spirit. That is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit divide into every man severally as he will. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-11 A country cannot remain free that does not stay at the forefront of science. However, because science can be used for good and for evil, we must have people of faith in God who understand the boundaries of the absolute laws of God, both temporally and spiritually. The argument among atheists on who is most moral, atheist or theist, is based on a false premise, or I should say based on a false assumption. That assumption is that we all agree on what morality is. Whose standards of judgment do we use? In the early days of our nation, those standards of judgment were established by the Ten Commandments, which were assumed to be the absolute standards of morality. Our nation is turning its back on the Ten Commandments and establishing new standards. From absolute standards of good and evil, we have shifted away from the Ten Commandments and toward political correctness. The emphasis has shifted from thou shalt not to thou shalt. We have shifted from wrongs to rights. Today we are obsessed with rights. In fact, it is considered immoral in today's modern relativity to call sin, sin. Once, morality was accepted as universal, and churches were the primary resources in teaching virtue. Today, churches are under suspicion and considered anti-American. God is seen as an inconvenience, and religion is being banned from government. Morals were once taught from the pulpit of our churches. Now they come from the iron-fisted laws of Congress, and churches are censored. No true law of science will ever contradict the truths of God. Without God, there would be no science. God used men and women of science to further his work, to aid in the miracles of healing, to advance technology for righteous causes, and to bless man. God intended us to study his laws. That is one purpose for coming to earth. To know the laws of God is to know God. Science serves man, and any time we serve man, we are serving God, even if we don't know it. All scientific discoveries are inspired by God. However, as Christians, we must maintain a balance between temporal law, called the laws of nature or the laws of science, and spiritual law, called the laws of God. The use of temporal law, unless governed by spiritual law, when used for evil purposes, can destroy us. 
Everything has its opposite. Temporal law unleashes the powers of matter and energy. Spiritual law teaches us what is right and what is wrong, what is moral and what is immoral. All laws of God are absolute. Science rarely accepts the truth that the laws of nature are absolute. They spend their genius on discovering cause and effect. Society sometimes, using science to support their ideology, has decided that good and evil are determined by popular opinion and not by God. Some use science or the laws of nature as evidence that God does not exist, that we must create our own system of ethics. Truth is something you discover. Truth is not something you vote on. Truth is revealed, not manufactured, to satisfy popular opinions. Truth is absolute. Morality, strictly speaking, cannot be established by popular opinion. Morality can only be revealed by God because, like the laws of nature, morality is also governed by absolute laws. The laws of morality, like the laws of nature, are to be discovered, not created. There are more assumptions that we must consider. 1. All laws come from God. 2. Laws are organized into complete sets, acting independently. 3. All dimensions, all creations, are governed by a complete set of laws. 4. Intelligent design comes first. 5. Organization of laws comes second. 6. All laws are organized to bring about God's eternal purposes. Once we understand that principle, then we begin to see God in everything. Everything testifies of God. Everything reveals God's purposes. If you want to know the mind of God, study law. If you want to know what the purposes of law are, study the conditions and study the consequences, for they are designed to reveal God's purposes. We're too willfully blind. Nearsighted and myopic as we are, we continually look beyond the mark and miss the real purpose of life. It is insufficient to study just one law. It easily becomes a red heron. We must study the complete set of laws. For example, when you consider the laws of our planet, just take the laws of what we call the Newtonian world, or the world of the senses, the world where we stub our toe and eat chocolate. Collectively, they are designed to increase our freedom and our joy. Because of opposition, we also suffer immensely when laws are broken. But even suffering has its purpose. If we did not know sorrow, we could never know joy. If we did not know captivity, we could never know liberty. Information is contained in the opposites. How many of us become stronger because of our failures? Just as temporal laws are engineered to give us temporal freedom and temporal happiness, spiritual laws are engineered to give us eternal liberty and eternal joy. The great visionary John tells us, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Revelation 21.4 Life on this earth is very, very short, but we must experience this life so that we can have eternal happiness hereafter. You only have to stub your toe once to know that it is not a good thing. When I was a foolish child, before I became a foolish adult, I remember standing alone on the soft sands of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. The small, white-capped waves delivering ocean's treasures, ancient shark's teeth blackened with age, pink shells, and other treasures of interest to a boy. It was a beautiful day and very hot. I saw a 55-gallon drum half full of fish heads. I knew it contained dead fish long before I stuck my head in it. Why I did what I did, I can't explain or justify. I stuck my head way down in the barrel. I nearly passed out. I had never confronted such an overpowering smell before. I was reeling. If the story ended there, it would be somewhat understandable, especially if you knew my nature. I was always poking my nose where it didn't belong. The peculiar part is that I stuck my head down into the fish barrel twice. 
The second time, more overwhelming than the first, I was sick. I still remember the awful stench, but it was somewhat faded, but my stupidity still haunts me. Why did I stick my head into the fish barrel twice? Many years later, at the university, enamored with everything Shakespeare, I read a line from a play entitled Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead, an absurdist take on Hamlet by Tom Stoppard. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, Hamlet's childhood friends, betrayed by Hamlet, whom they also betrayed, are about to be hanged. On the gallows, one turned to the other and said, There must have been a time when we could have said no, but somehow we missed it. Those lines have haunted me ever since, and I apply them to my sticking my head down a fish barrel. There must have been a time when I could have said no, but somehow I missed it. Most regrets are belated revelations of our insufficiencies, but seem to have no applications to future occurrences. I couldn't even tell you for sure that I wouldn't do it again at age 78 just to see what it was like when I was a boy. The irony is that it is meaningless to tell someone else not to stick their head in the fish barrel. The first thing they want to do is to go find a fish barrel. We are a peculiar lot. Well, husband, your fish barrel story explains a lot. What do you mean by that? Oh, nothing. I just think you are still that curious little boy standing before a fish barrel. I'd like to think I'm a little smarter. Yes, we would all like to think that. But tell me, what is law? We must assume that law is power. In fact, law must be absolute power. It must be unalterable, unchanging, immovable, impermeable, and everlasting. There can be no exceptions. Our world would simply go back to chaos. The purpose of law is to bring order out of chaos and to perfect, protect, and govern that order. Withdraw law and things return to chaos. Chaos is absolute and can only be overcome by absolute power. Chaos can produce nothing of itself. Something cannot come from nothing. Science may call the law that brings order out of chaos what they will. Christians use the term justice. What do you mean by justice? We think of justice as retribution or bringing criminals to justice. But you appear to use the term in a larger sense. We must broaden the term to include the controlling attributes of law. All temporal laws are conditional. They have a cause and an effect. That is why we have free will in a mortal world. We use laws for our advantage. The controlling law, however, must be unconditional. That includes absolute perfection or perfect order. Injustice, or the opposite of justice, is the violation of perfect order. In a larger sense, why did Christ have to atone for our sins? Why couldn't God simply excuse sin? The reason is that justice cannot allow it. It is not mercy that gives God his existence. It is justice. If justice altered, God would cease to be God. Christ's atonement was necessary to satisfy the law of justice. We always connect the punishment of sinners with the justice of God. Sin is not a thing of itself. Sin is an act that violates justice or violates perfect law or perfect order. Justice is absolute. Anything less is not justice. You cannot separate God from justice. Any violation of that perfection, and he can no longer be God. But we are all considered sinners because we don't obey the law perfectly. It is impossible for us to obey the law perfectly. Therefore, it is impossible not to sin. That is the great paradox, isn't it? Anything that is unjust is considered unclean, and that poses a tremendous dilemma. For man, by his fallen nature, is unclean, meaning that he is imperfect and unjust. No unclean thing can stand in the presence of God, or it would pollute his kingdom. 
In effect, in our fallen state, we are all unclean. In Christian terms, as you point out, we are all sinners. We find ourselves in an impossible position. Am I correct in saying that because by its nature justice is absolute, it does not allow infractions? any infraction, and you fall outside the law of justice, and justice, which by its nature is unforgiving, will not let you back in. In other words, if you sin, the law of justice will not let you back into heaven where God lives. That is the grand paradox, isn't it? Do you look for mercy and justice? It can't be found. Even if it isn't your fault, if you break the law, you are outside the law of justice. Justice cannot consider extenuating circumstances. Only mercy can do that, and justice can show no mercy and remain justice. It's tempting to judge God and say, I don't want to go to heaven. I couldn't love a God like that. Justice would answer, I don't care, you miserable sinner. Would I let you destroy God because of your petty quarrels? The reality then is that God cannot allow injustice in his presence, even if he wanted to, and remain God. Justice isn't an attitude. Or an opinion, justice is a state of being. It either exists or it doesn't. Justice can only exist in an atmosphere of perfect order, no matter how lonely that atmosphere is. That poses a tremendous problem for God. God is the Father of all mankind. He loves His children as much as He loves Himself, and He wants us to return to His kingdom, but justice stands in the way. If he removed the barrier of justice, he would have to give up his role as God and become like fallen man. That wouldn't help us because his children would remain in their miserable state forever. In addition, God, if he fell from justice, would be among them as miserable as they are and unable to help. However, being omniscient and omnipotent, God solved the problem which leads to the strangest story ever told, the role of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. That was the answer to the dilemma from the beginning, but it came at a huge price. Christ had to die on the cross. Now I'm on familiar territory. Christ satisfied the law of justice by paying the price for our sins by his own blood. Being innocent, he was the only one qualified to do it. He was God. He was creator. He was perfect. The two chief attributes of Christ are justice and mercy. To understand justice, we must understand why law is necessary in the first place. After all, why can't God simply say, Shazam, and everything appears by magic? If that were true, then nothing would really matter, and science would be right in claiming that everything will appear by accident and disappear by entropy. Things would come and go without meaning or purpose. Let us call that scientific nihilism, or something from nothing. That is the world that science today envisions when they claim that life, man, earth, and the cosmos were all created by accident and will end in a giant heat death or a giant deep freeze, or to use their terms, maximum equilibrium. Maximum equilibrium means maximum disorder, where all opposition is removed and matter and energy are meaningless, particles floating in infinite space without order, meaning, or purpose. You put as assumption, too, that one of the unalterable laws of the universe is that something cannot come from nothing. That is the reason that chaos cannot order itself. So the Big Bang is not responsible for the creation of the cosmos. I'm not saying that at all. Bulldog science will sort it out. How God works has always been a mystery, but it can be unraveled in the study of science in the temporal order of things. The Big Bang could have occurred. Just as Bigfoot could be real. Did you actually make a joke? No. 
We look to science to discover Bigfoot, and we look to science to justify the Big Bang. However, one thing is certain. The Big Bang could not have occurred without a complete set of laws. Behind all creation is law and intelligent design. How God does it is the ever-going quest of science. Intelligent design appears to have multiple meanings. Obviously, you have design. Every ordered pattern is a design. A snowflake, for example. But no two snowflakes are alike. The same with leaves on a tree. Only fantastic design could give such infinite variety. Probably all of nature basks in multitudinous variety, but only man can contemplate the designer. Design is the plan of bringing order out of chaos through law. A plan must have a purpose. That is why we call it intelligent design. If we study law, we will understand the purposes of God. Science addresses the question how. Christianity addresses the question why. To bring order out of chaos, we must understand the nature of law. To understand the nature of law, we must understand the nature of chaos. If chaos is maximum disorder, then law must be maximum order. Else, how can law bring order out of chaos? If chaos is an absolute state, then law must be an absolute state. Otherwise, everything would return to chaos. It disturbs me when you said earlier that God would cease to be God. But it makes sense that God must have all the attributes of a supreme being. If God is perfect, then no part of God can be altered. It follows that God is unalterable, unchangeable, and everlasting. The word justice explains God perfectly because justice means to be in an unalterable state. God will never cease to be God because God will never change. That poses a tremendous problem for us because we are nothing like God. We are subject to tantrums, to emotional outbursts, to indecision, to passions, to uncertainty, to flights of fancy, to stubbornness. Well, one could go on and on and on describing our human frailties. Shakespeare said, for man is a giddy thing. The problem then is how does giddy man get back to the presence of God who cannot have evil in his presence? The reality is that because of the law of justice, we could never go back to the presence of God. Once Adam partook of the forbidden fruit, had Adam remained in that fallen state, that would have been the end of everything. Man would have been cut off temporally and spiritually from God forever. And God, being perfect, could not, as Greek gods do, come down to the level of man. In other words, he couldn't compromise and allow a little sin here and a little sin there. Sin is violation of law, and justice cannot allow any violation of law and remain justice. If justice allowed any deviation, then everything would return to chaos. And once in chaos, without law, it could never come back. That is the single greatest paradox of Christianity. How can God stay God and still save man? There is not one single solitary human on earth who hasn't sinned save Christ. Christ, then, is the only answer, isn't he? Justice couldn't save us, but mercy could. Christ didn't violate any laws. Therefore, although he came to earth taking upon himself mortality, he never fell under the law of justice. Therefore, justice had no hold over him. He didn't need to repent. He didn't need to be forgiven. Being sinless, he satisfied the law of justice and paid the price for our sins. Therefore, justice was satisfied. Man was saved, and the Father could be both a just God and a merciful God. 
The second grand paradox of Christianity is this. If Christ had sinned, there would have been no Savior to forgive him, not even God the Father. Otherwise, God the Father would have to violate the law of justice. If he violated justice, even a hair, he would cease to be God and fall down to our level. If that occurred, then everything would fall under the power of Satan. Keep in mind that one thing can never change. We all have immortal spirits with immortal intelligence. Our spirits can never die. We would be confined to misery forever because we would be in a state of chaos forever and wouldn't be able to do anything about it. There would be no God to turn to. There would be no resurrection and no eternal life with God. Justice cannot be compromised, robbed, cheated, defrauded, altered, or modified in any way. Let me recap. The law of mercy was instituted not by robbing justice, but by satisfying the law of justice. Christ, being sinless, suffered the pains of the law of justice for our sins, not his. Thus, justice was satisfied. The penalty of the law was paid in full by Christ's atoning sacrifice. To understand how mercy can satisfy justice, we must understand the nature of justice. Justice is perfect restoration, perfect equality, perfect balance. All broken laws must be repaired or paid for. Think of justice as a perfect balance. Every broken law has a price, a punishment. Christ paid the price. He suffered the punishment. He satisfied the full law of justice. Christians call it the atonement. A more common term is grace. Perhaps the most popular hymn in all Christendom is Amazing Grace. Because of the voluntary sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who paid a price he didn't have to pay being sinless, God can be both just and merciful. The scales remained balanced. However, there is a condition. There is another attribute of the law of justice that must be satisfied, and that is the agency of man. A person cannot be saved if he doesn't want to be saved. He must accept salvation of his own free will. If a person rejects the atonement and refuses to allow the blood of Christ to wash away his sins, then he must answer the full measure of the law himself, because justice must be satisfied, or God would cease to be God. Because of the unalterable law of justice, the only ones who are exempt from personal responsibility for their sins are little children and those who died without the law. All others must meet the conditions of the law of mercy. The only reason that law allows free will, agency, freedom, and liberty is because all laws of this world are conditional. Even spiritual laws are conditional, and to receive the blessings, we must meet the conditions. Christ can only pay for the sins of those who call upon him and ask for his forgiveness. The scriptures point out that the road to heaven is a straight and narrow way, and only those who endure to the end can be saved. Grace is free, but is not mandatory. Being sinless, Christ did not have to do what he did. He was God when he came to earth. He would be God when he left the earth. However, God that he was, without paying for our sins, he could not have become our Savior. To be our Savior, he had to suffer Gethsemane and Calvary. That is why he did not come down from the cross. That is why God did not send legions of angels to save him from the crucifixion. It would have thwarted the plan of God, which was instituted from the beginning. Before Adam and Eve even fell, the plan of salvation was put in place. The atonement of Christ was not an afterthought instituted to fix a problem. It was the plan from the beginning, and that brings us back to the attributes of law. 
It raises a question that bothers a lot of people. Why are we here in the first place? Why did we leave heaven in the first place? Is it just to gain a body? If a body was all that was needed, why didn't God just create a body for us and send us back to heaven before we could sin? Since the natural man is considered an enemy to God, why did we have to experience earth? The secret lies in the attributes of Jesus Christ, our Creator, our Savior, and our Redeemer. If we know Christ, then we will know the purpose of law. If we do not know Christ, then we will never know the purposes of law. The simple answer is that Christ is perfect, and it follows that He would build into all His laws the pathway to perfection. But agency is at the core of everything God does. He guards our agency, and no man, not even Satan, can take it away. We may give our agency away, but no devices of man can take it away. Let me ask you a question. After death, besides eternal life with God, what does every Christian long for? I suppose the resurrection. You suppose right. The final judgment is postponed until after the resurrection. Every human on earth will stand before God to be judged in a resurrected state. The purpose of law is to perfect us and to prepare us for the resurrection. Those who are diverted by the natural man may find pleasure in life, but will never find joy in life. Just as only by law can we be created, only by law can we be perfected. Everything is governed by law, even the resurrection. I see the connection. Until Christ, the law of justice, offered no repentance, no forgiveness for sins or broken laws, no way back. Christ introduced the principle of repentance so that we could continually correct our course. When we fall, we can pick ourselves back up. Only Satan will tell us that we can't repent. As long as there is breath in our bodies, Christ offers repentance. We are measured by our works. Our works are measured by our desires. As long as our desires are good, our works will be good, and we will continue to correct our errors and repent of our sins and adjust our course. Here is a truth that we may have to learn by sad experience. We may choose our behavior, but we may not choose the consequences. All laws, temporal or spiritual, are organized by God to give us freedom, agency, liberty, and happiness. Any violation of law, temporal or spiritual, will result in a loss of freedom, agency, liberty, or happiness. There is absolute law, absolute morality designed by God to enable all men to return to His presence. It is for that reason we celebrate this Christmas season. As we remember his birth, let us celebrate his life and recognize that by his death, he brought the resurrection to all mankind. Because of justice, there is meaning in life. Because of mercy, there is hope in life through Jesus Christ, the Savior and Redeemer of the world. We wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. In Defense of Christianity is available at RonaldMesser.com.